0: Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. And today we unpack international stocks. That's Occidental Petroleum carrying as well as Taiwan a Semiconductor with independent analyst Jimmy Moyaha. Jimmy, thank you for being here with us today. Thanks Hi,
1: Thanks for having me, <laughs> Nolte. How are you?
0: Awesome, awesome. Let's talk about these counters. Why have you gone with these stocks today?
1: It's quite interesting. So the the investment landscape at the moment is riddled with a lot of macro developments, Mm -hmm. right? So there's the the Russia-Ukraine war, there's the BRICS summit, there's um, Saudi Arabia saying they're going to maintain oil prices at certain levels, there's uh, gas pipelines that were originally supposed to run into Europe from Africa that now no longer do because of what's happening in, in Niger. So there's a lot of macro factors at play and it's always difficult at this time to pick out certain things. And it seems like everything's coming through at once, right? So we not only came out of a pandemic, we went into high elev- uh, interest rate and inflationary levels. Now there's a, a myriad of new things that we're having to contend with. And it just looks like there's a lot going on, you know? And it it speaks to something around the company. So the companies that you then pick out from an investment point of view, more often than not, and what we're seeing now is... Your companies are not bad companies. So you're not picking a company that can't perform. You have to now navigate. A good company that can perform in a difficult environment and that's become even more uh, relevant or more prevalent at this particular time Um, but also I think the the reason behind looking at these particular stocks is um, I mean you and I have spoken in the past that um, there's been a shift in terms of investor sentiment Mm. where investors are sort of starting to position their um, long-term views and that sort of thing and I myself find myself being drawn towards sort of alternative investments alternative Mm. asset class and i've been um looking more towards what does that mean for your investment um, goals what does that mean for your strategic investment decisions 10 15 years from now if we're seeing a shift to alternatives we're seeing a rise in activist investors we're seeing all of these things that historically didn't really form such a big part of decision making um and that's growingly becoming a trend so it's, it's always that tricky balance of saying look Good companies, old, traditional, steadfast companies are there. Yeah. Um, but when those companies are performing quite slowly because of the macro conditions that they play in, where do you find the value?
0: Very interesting. So let's talk about your first stock because it's Oxy. Um, it's an energy company. It's chemicals manufacturing. Um, it's also a carbon management. It's very, very new uh, age, uh, stuff. I think if I think of carbon management, talk to us about this counter, uh, Jimmy, and where you're seeing the value for it. Also, you know, in this complex environment that you make reference to.
1: So Occidental Petroleum, if you look at it it's interesting, I gave the stock pick out in February of last year. Okay. And from then, so actually actually from about September, so August September mm-hmm. of last year to date, mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway has acquired thirty five million yeah. shares of the stock to the value of about two billion dollars. Um, at the time I gave out the stock pick, I had no idea this is <laughs> what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the stock for various reasons. I mean, yes, you are competing with the Exxon Mobiles and the Chevrons within the U.S., um, but that carbon element of it that you mentioned is something that will always draw the new age type of investor that we're looking at. We, we have seen this huge drive towards carbon um, or cleaner um, operating practices, companies that are investing in carbon uh, or reducing carbon footprints, uh, decarbonization, those sorts of things. And it's rare for a petroleum company mm. um, to be in that space. I mean, we know the likes of BP are very um, vocal about this as well, to say that they're going for the decarbonization and reducing their carbon footprints and all of that. But the reality is even in, I think as far as recently as 2021, 80% 80% of the world's fossil fuels or 80% of what was being um, produced in the world were still fossil fuel dependent. Mm. So we're still very, very l- far away from saying it's a green um, world that we live in and all of that. Th- so there's a conscious effort that we're seeing, though, from vehicle manufacturers, uh, mining companies, petroleum companies. Everybody's making a conscious effort to reduce carbon footprints, um, have cleaner practices, uh, those sorts of things. But Occidental, I gave out as a pick below $40. Okay, It popped up more than 100%, topping out, I think, just close to about $70. We're back at about 58 to $60-odd. Uh, it's still undervalued by about 20% at the current price. This is after $2 billion worth of buy-up from Berkshire Hathaway. So I'll be interested to see where the stock then moves from here. And again, some of the picks that we we give out on these shows, on on this show, on Stockwatch and other shows, it's not to say that the the stock will move immediately. I Mm. mean, when I gave out the stock, I was surprised that it moved as quickly as it did um, off of the news that came out and and, and the other decisions. But at the end of the day, if you're looking towards your petroleum companies, ExxonMobil, with the size that it is, um, is... A lot significantly bigger than Occidental at the moment mm-hmm. and one might be drawn towards that sort of thing to say do we go with a big company mm. but if you can get in a really good company at a really good valuation think of Kumba I know I know individuals that managed to get in on Kumba when the share price was at 8 Rand sure. share price to get to 500 Rand mm-hmm. your, your return looks um, significantly different from a profile perspective um, again Depends on investors and how long they're willing to hold and, and that sort of thing. But I gave out the stock in the past. It worked out well. I'm betting on it again.
0: I must ask also just for our retail investors. When we say, uh, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, we are speaking about Warren Buffett. But you mean, what is the big fuss with him? And this is an important thing for retail investors. If you should open, uh, you know, an article and you should say Warren Buffett has invested. What is that signal? Warren Buffett hasn't
1: been buying up stocks since 2009. Mm-hmm, sure. He's been... So he he, he's, he holds... Big stakes in companies like Coca-Cola and Microsoft and and the like. And you you see the significance of um, his investments, right? So Warren Buffett has um, in the past developed... an index or uh, a performance metric that measures when a stock starts to become overvalued and people have used that in terms of trading stocks Um, as an investor he's one of the most seasoned long-term investors in the world Mm -hmm. and in modern times and his principle is quite simple is to hold for an exceptionally long time, mm. and so when I mean he's been looking at the stocks probably since about 2019 or so. The pandemic happened. A lot of things shook up the world, and, and you know, and like I said, when I gave it out in 2022, it hadn't even broken the $40 level, right? So, for for someone like Warren Buffett to show confidence in. Um, in an energy stock, number one, but number two, having not invested quite significantly or having not Uh, shown significant movements over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. to suddenly be lightening up on certain stocks, lightening up on uh, potentially tech stocks and that sort of thing, and going in a lot heavier on stocks like this is a very, very telling thing for a long-term investor. And the mindset that he uses to approach investments Mm -hmm. is something that a lot of institutions, not individuals, institutions have modeled their businesses after.
0: Very interesting. Let's move on now to our next talk. We don't have much time. I really want to speak about caring. I'm surprised you went with it. Not an LVMA. It's not Bishma. These are the ones we hear about all the time. Talk to us about caring and how Gucci has actually disappointed a little here
1: that 's the thing with caring right caring hasn 't been the star performer. It has definitely lagged in comparison to LVMH and Hermes and the other luxury brands right and if you th- um, If you remember last week, I gave out tapestry, so mm. it 's two luxury picks in two weeks mm. and it's it 's something that um, i 've looked into recently around the luxury space following the pandemic. You come out of the pandemic and you realize luxury goods have been more defensive than some of our industries some some other industries where um Wealthy individuals have said, "Okay, we can't do much with our money, but we can buy nice things and we can enjoy our lives and we can enjoy our wealth. And that's been a proven testament. I mean, guys like LVMH have had their share price up about 20, um, 25 odd percent. Whereas, yes, caring has lagged behind and their share price over the last 12 months has actually declined. Mm. But if we look at the picture that is caring at the moment, um, you, you mentioned Gucci. Alexander McQueen is, uh, is in that stable, um, Yves Saint Laurent is in that stable, and recently, Valentino, yes. right? So 30% acquisition of Valentino with the prospect of potentially acquiring the remaining 70% over the next five years. Now that, for me, points to diversification. Mm. The 50% of the uh, revenues that caring group makes at the moment comes from the Gucci brand. Now they're looking to diversify out of that. And what better way to do it than another established brand, um, another Italian brand, another luxury brand. And Valentino has in its own right a name that is recognisable. I mean, the company itself did about 1.4 billion um, euros in revenues as well, and yes, they paid quite a hefty premium for it. Mm. But this has been the pattern with airing, um, caring. Sorry, mm. they're, they're not afraid to pay uh, a, a premium for something. They've done it in the past, and we've seen that the caring group is impeccable at turning around brands. Mm. Balenciaga, as an example, mm. so they take a brand that is a luxury brand already, and they're able to unlock additional value within that so that's one side of it the other element is if you look at the acquisition of valentino it is from a existing fund a private equity fund in qatar which that arrangement now also looks, um, so the, the private equity fund is ma- uh, Mehula, if I'm not mistaken, and that now has potential other future collaborations to the extent that Mehula may even take a stake in Caring, which then means that we could see Caring expand into the Middle East even more with their luxury brands. So from a long-term perspective, yes, um, significantly lower than, uh, in terms of performance, uh, or lagging behind your LVMH and your Hermes and their other competitors, but definitely value there. They're still, um, trading at a really good price they're trading significantly cheaper than um, your lvmh and if you look at their performance at the moment both stocks are down for the month mm-hmm. but lvmh is down significantly more than what Carrying is at, at the moment so um, a luxury play there a uh, long-term play because luxury has proven that it is standing the test of time and um outperforming certain other industries where there's levels of uncertainty and volatility but also expanding into new markets um, Going into new sorts of collaborations, if you think about the luxury industry and you look at Louis Vuitton's um, recent uh, appointment from a uh, creative director's point of view, alongside that of Dolce & Gabbana in the form of Kim Kardashian, you're seeing that luxury is going to make a return Mm -hmm. if it hasn't already. And it's just about picking the right luxury stock. And there's nothing wrong with having more than one.
0: All right, Jimmy. So your third uh, counter is Taiwan Semiconductor. Talk to us about this counter.
1: The semiconductor space has been quite interesting, right? So it's been under pressure at the moment from, since COVID. We saw supply chain disruptions have a massive impact on that um, sort of area. But if you look at where we're going, the semiconductors in vehicles and other... Um, technological advancements, regardless of whether we develop through AI, whether we develop through um, new, el- um, new electronic vehicles and that sort of thing, semiconductors are going to be an increasing part of our world going forward. If you think about an internal combustion engine, at the moment, um, those require uh, semiconductor chips for certain automations and that sort of thing. The more autonomous a vehicle becomes, the more chips it will require. So that space is only going to grow if we are to believe that we're transitioning to new uh, Um, energy vehicles or new electric vehicles per se right if you look at the reasons that the sector is still under pressure at the moment Mm. and you look at the fact that the russia ukraine war plays the biggest part in that now you might ask how that would factor in but um A key component in semiconductors is neon gas, and the world's leading supplier of neon gas in the semiconductor space was the Ukraine. Um, Another key component is palladium. 25% of the world's palladium comes from Russia. So that war has a bigger impact than what we see on the semiconductor space in the interim uh, at the moment. Now, looking forward towards whether you go Qualcomm um, or On Semiconductor or some other uh, companies in the semiconductor space, you have to then look at whether you want to go with a tried and tested, a stable company. A Taiwan Semiconductor is one of the most reliable companies in the space. Um, yes, as an investor, you may not want retail or you may not want exposure to China at the moment given what's happening around the world and what's happening with the US. So you might want to stick away f- stick away from a company like Qualcomm or uh, TSM, in which case you look for a company like Magnachip that's sitting in South Korea that does semiconductors but doesn't give you as much exposure. Or you look at Arm, which has just um, announced from SoftBank that they're going ahead with their IPO in the US. Mm-hmm. So Arm does semiconductors uh, through Japan Japan Um, Japan, Japanese owned soft bank. So if you're looking for exposure in the semiconductor, but beyond um, the two regions, beyond the China's and the US's, you do have other options. And it's only going to be here to stay.
0: Very interesting. Now, if we are a retail investor sitting at home uh, with some money to spare, Jimmy, we've spoken about uh, three counters uh, today. What order would you buy uh, these counters in?
1: Most likely uh, Occidental Petroleum first, um, because that is your longer term play. That is um, something that will continue to be around. There's still a bit of downside that you might see on uh, the likes of Caring and TSM. Um, And in the case of TSM, you might want to go for a much more affordable alternative, like the Magnus that I mentioned uh, previously. So uh, Occidental first, Caring second, because luxury is going to be um, stronger than uh, your, your your semiconductor space that's still got volatility at the moment. And then uh, TSM third.
0: Now let's talk about uh, you know the educational term for the week. It is rebalancing. Jimmy, mm. talk to us about that.
1: So at the top of the show, I mean, I mentioned that there were trends that were changing. We saw that investor sentiment and investor uh, mindsets were shifting, and rebalancing is pretty much something that happens in the portfolio or asset management space quite often, right? So um, rebalancing can happen uh, at a number of times for a number of reasons. But effectively, what it is is looking at a portfolio and realigning the portfolio to um, to go back towards its original goals and original objectives. So when you when you um, create portfolio, when an investment company builds a portfolio, they will uh, build a certain mix, an optimal mix where they'll say we'll want 50% exposure to equities, for example, 50% exposure to bonds, for example. And what you see is in a time like this where you've come out of a pandemic, um, equities might perform differently to bonds. They might have different risk parameters. They might have increased in valuations. So there's a whole myriad of reasons that can result in a portfolio not looking the way you used to have it look, right? And that's where the term rebalancing comes in. It also is very close to a term called um, repositioning. Now, that might happen more on a short-term basis, whereas rebalancing might be looking at a more longer-term view. It could happen the other way around as well. But in a nutshell, when you rebalance your portfolio, you are just strategically readjusting what assets you're invested in <laughs> to ensure that you're still on your optimum investment trajectory trajectory. trajectory. Now, when do you do that? Um, You can do it once a year. It's recommended that you do it at least once a year. You can do it based on economic events. You can do it based on performance events. You can say that um, equity markets are performing better um, or have performed better in the last uh, quarter or so, and as a result you now need to adjust your exposure and that sort of thing. Um, You can even do it now when we come out of European summer. Going into the last quarter of the year, we typically see that. So you always see a choppiness in August performances because portfolio managers are rebalancing ahead of the last Quarter. So you've had nine. Qu- um, you've had your first eight months or nine months of the year. You're now. You've only got one quarter left to make returns for your investors mm-hmm. before December break and before the holidays. And you want to adjust. Sometimes you may be underperforming. Sometimes you may be overperforming. Mm-hmm. But the whole concept of rebalancing. Rebalancing is used as a retail investor, mm-hmm. as an institutional investor. Um, it's used regardless of where you're sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we've looked at what it is. We've looked at why you do it, okay. and we've looked at when you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole. Uh, important Importance behind it
0: wonderful Jimmy uh, thank you so much for being with us today an absolute pleasure having you in studio that was independent analyst at Jimmy Moyaha with the Tuesday edition of stock picks